when I was a teenager and, you know, being overweight and all that sort of stuff, I thought that the answer to all of my problems was going to be losing weight and aesthetically looking better. And I thought as soon as that happens, this will fall into place, this will fall into place, this will fall into place. And then it didn't. Hello. My name is Matthew Barney Sortino, and welcome to Moments of Clarity. Today I'm speaking to Maddie Hill. Matt is a personal trainer and online coach based in Manchester, England. I first met Matt playing soccer in Melbourne a few years back, and we instantly became friends. What came as a shock to many was that Matt, the good looking bloke that always had a smile on his face, had been battling mental health issues for years. This is not uncommon. And Matt, who grew up with a negative perception of his health and body as a teenager, has committed himself to providing health and well-being advice and support to anyone struggling from similar issues. In today's conversation, Matt and I discuss mental health and the characteristics of depression, health, nutrition and fitness, personal training, changing career, travel, building positive habits, being kind to yourself and more. You can follow Matt on Instagram at Hill, or visit his website mattyahillfitness.com. So now, without further delay, I bring you Matty Hill. Matt? Welcome to Moments of Clarity. Hello, Barney. How are you, mate? I'm going great. How about you? I am fantastic. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Oh, not a problem, mate. It looks pretty sunny over there. It is It is a beautiful day today, mate. We are in our traditional one day of summer where <laughs> the sun is out, the skies are blue, and it's pushing 30 degrees. So, um, you know, I'm feeling, I'm feeling very much at home in this stunning weather makes a change it's it's been raining for the last god knows how long so um it's nice to get some sun you you're back in manchester yep i am yeah so i um i've been back here for the well i moved back a year ago just over a year ago now and obviously i had i had that period of uh two months or so back in back in melbourne earlier on this year just before and during lockdown, but yes, no, back in Manchester now, back in um, back in beautiful, sunny for today, Manchester. Did you grow up in Manchester, Maddie? I haven't asked you this before. Were you born and bred Manchester boy? I'm a born and bred Mancunian. Yes, um, so I'm I'm in the family home. I've, I've, I've moved back in. I moved back in with mum and dad uh, when I got back from Australia sort of starting again setting myself up back in uh, back in my home country but you know it, it's I was away for a long time so um, it seems like I'm starting again but yeah born and bred in Manchester lived here obviously all my life up until that big move to Melbourne what was five six years ago now what brought you to Melbourne what was the big reason for the move do you know what it's um it's a it's quite a funny story in in you know looking back on it so I finished university uh I was 21 so I just graduated university and I don't think uh, you know I don't think many of my friends actually know the full reason 
why I ended up picking Australia, you know. And um, my a good friend of mine, I, w- I worked with him in hospitality at a pub that he was a manager at all through university. So it's about two, three years I worked there. Became a very good friend of his, best man at his wedding. And he sold me a the Australian dream, if you like. You know, it was, uh, we, all, you know, we all talk about the American dream, but for me it's the Australian dream. And he was going to run a restaurant and project manage a bar. And it was going to be in the Sundays, And he wanted me to come and work with him. We were going to get, well, he was going to be sponsored. I was going to get my working holiday visa, do my 12 months working with him. And I was sold on, you know, I Googled, I Googled the Wit Sundays and Early Beach where the restaurant was going to be based. And you look at it and you just think, wow, this, this is paradise. And it was the whole thing of, you know, you'll be, you'll be working in the evenings, but during the day you'll be able to go out, you'll be able to sail, you'll be able to go out to the Barrier Reef, everything that comes with the Wit Sundays. And uh, I was sold and I was, you know, that's what I was going to do. And then unfortunately he was unable to complete the sponsorship. So, so the, the, the job basically fell through for him. And I had spent so long talking it up in my head to my friends to tell everybody you know I'm going to Australia this is what I'm going to do and um, I think we and we might touch on this a bit later but I think my own sort of insecurities if you like of not of, of having built something up and then being too embarrassed to tell people that it actually wasn't going to happen anymore I ended up looking for so my, my degree was in journalism I ended up looking for roles in Australia in, in, you know, in journalism. And uh, I am a big Manchester City soccer fan and Manchester City had recently taken over Melbourne City Football Club. And I explored that opportunity of work experience with Melbourne City Football Club in their journalism department. And, uh, and, and that's how moving to Melbourne came about. I, I landed a, an internship, if you like, at the club, and packed my bags and moved to Melbourne. Uh, a little bit colder and darker than the Whit Sundays, though. Was it still? Did it live up to the dream? <laughs> Do you know? I think the dream changed. <laughs> the dream changed somewhat, but um, no. I mean, it was. I think one of the reasons. I think one of the reasons why I fell in love with Melbourne was it actually being cold and dark and whatnot it actually reminded me a lot of Manchester and it just I instantly just felt that you you know I've said this to people in the past and you know it's quite a corny cheesy line but I just felt at home in Melbourne and I can't put my finger on exactly what it is but there are you know I've been to I've been lucky enough to go to a few different countries in my life a few different major cities I've lived in London and nothing grabbed me quite like Melbourne did I love Melbourne too but what what did you love about it what do you think made it feel like home to you other than it being you know relatively similar to Manchester was there something that that really just drew you was it was it an instant thing or did it take time to build relationships before you loved it it took time. It did take time to completely fall in love with the place. But I did have this sense of I really like it here. I like the I liked the the, the atmosphere and the the culture of the city. I liked 
the quirkiness of it it was completely new for for, for me especially you know I'm, I'm i'm 21 years old at this point and you know we're going back six years here and the the novelty of of drinking beers out of a jar or cocktails out of a jar you know and all these things it just opened my eyes to something that i'd never really experienced before and 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 that's me probably even doing a disservice to what the city of Melbourne actually is but it did take a while for me to you know it, it wasn't I, it wasn't like a, a an instant love as such but there was that feeling of I'm comfortable here and I can see myself settling here you know if if everything works out then this is some place that I, I feel I could I could definitely live and you know then I I was there for that year I developed friendships relationships and then leaving that bubble if you like moving back to the UK that's when it really hit me that's when I I you know I I got off the plane I landed at Manchester airport and you know as great as it was seeing family and friends that I'd not seen for a year there was that part of me that was just like I need to go back I, I need this is that's where I, I belong, and um, and I did. I went, I went back uh, about six months or so later. Okay, so let me get this timeline right. First of all, we met at the Thornbury Soccer Club. There was your first stint in Australia or in Melbourne before that, or was that the first part? Because I can't remember you going back. Did I meet you after you'd returned back to Melbourne? No, so that was my first stint. So I moved to Melbourne November 2014. I joined Thornbury and we met, we would have met in January, I think, of 2015, played the full season. And then I left November 2015 and I was away for six months. And then I moved back in April of 2016 and then was in Melbourne from April 2016 up until last year. There we go. There was a little stint there. I do remember it now. And yeah, there was yeah. the big farewell and then the big return. No, you're a hundred. There, there was. Yeah. <laughs> I think I had, about, I think I had about three or four going away parties, and then ended up coming back. I'm like a boomerang. <laughs> oh, fantastic, fantastic! Introduce yourself, Maddie. What are you doing with yourself now? And are you still in journalism, or what's going on these days? No, so I. Funnily enough, left journalism not long after my stint with Melbourne City Football Club. I'm now a personal trainer and online coach. So I, you know, a lot of people or those, you know, the word and the phrase life coach is thrown around a lot. And I don't really see myself as as that. But I do one-to-one personal training. I do personal training online. But the whole ethos behind my coaching and my training is that I want this to be a lifestyle for people and in order to do that there are certain things that need to be put into place certain structures that we may need to work on together to help you get these structures in place so that you have that the life that you want and it's um I do a lot of things with forming positive habits, good habits. I do a lot of work with trying to change people's relationships with food. I work with a lot of people who want to lose weight. That's my that's my my passion really is is helping people lose weight, lose the weight that they want to, lose it healthily 
and you know set them up so that they don't yo-yo diet that they don't come back in three four months time and have piled the weight back on so it's a lifestyle change and that's the sort of the way I go down and 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 push my my coaching and my training so what inspired you to do that was it you know playing sport in Melbourne was it something you'd always wanted to do what actually brought you down the the road of personal training and coaching to be honest it was something that I never really considered doing from teenage years I was going to be a sports journalist you know a kid growing up in Manchester you either want to play football for Manchester City or Manchester United for me it was for Man- I wanted to play football for Manchester City when I wasn't good enough and you know you find that out very early on these days when I wasn't good enough the next best thing was to write about it and at school one of my strengths was always writing and I knew obviously a lot about the sport so you know it 15, 16, it seemed natural for me to go down that path of sports journalism. And then I studied it at university and, you know, had a fantastic three years in London at university, met some amazing people who are still friends to this day and got experience, worked for free for a long time and then went freelance landed this role with Melbourne City. And then I think things changed within me. And, you know, around, I think I was probably about 22, 23, when I sort of decided that I wanted, fitness had always been a, and and the gym had always been something I was interested in. You know, it was like a passion. And I, I learned that actually, I want to pursue this a little bit more. I, I liked the feeling of, exercising and training and I felt that I had a bit of knowledge that I could pass on you know I would be helping friends with their workouts or whatever in the gym nothing you know you couldn't class it as personal training but I knew I consumed a lot of information regarding the subject and I would help people with their plans and you know tell them oh this exercise does this and oh you want to be doing this for for that and whatnot and it sort of just developed from there and I then got really into helping people and watching people or the thought of helping people achieve something actually made me think you know what I this is something that I want to I want to do for for a career and you know I wasn't working in journalism at that point. I'd done the odd freelance gig. I'd done my working for free, but I was working in hospitality. And, you know, I had a very good job, very privileged position I was in, you know, financially I was sorted. And, you know, it was was great for me in that sense, but it didn't really, it didn't ignite the fire in me. And I was stagnating and it was sort of leading me down, leading me down a path that I didn't want to go down. And I just decided I have to bite the bullet here and I'm not motivated by finances. I'm not motivated by the watch that's on my wrist or, you know, the car that I drive. I actually want to help people. And it just aligned perfectly. Combine my passion and my desire to help people and... There you go. Personal trainer. 
Oh, that's fantastic. Was it was it tough to, I guess, break through that barrier of being comfortable, feeling privileged, having an idea that you were safe, and then to say, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna, you know, drop that and and really just try to focus on this passion and try to start something new. Was that a difficult decision? It was, yeah. It was something that I thought about long and hard for a long time. And you know, I think one of the, the positives about me studying, you know, so with personal training, you can get qualified in, you know, you can get qualified in four weeks. It's not a, um, the course is not particularly strenuous. It's not particularly long. For me, I studied it in Australia. So I was an international student, obviously, therefore paying higher fees. And obviously, then they, you know, they, they, they want to keep you there for as long as they can. So they, my personal training course lasted for, for 18 months. So a course that some people can qualify in, in four to six weeks took me 18 months, which for me was great because it kept me in the country. You know, it gave me the opportunity to essentially have 12 months more gym floor experience than some of my peers who would be in the industry, you know, enter the industry at the same time. So whilst I was doing that, I was still able to work and work in hospitality and, you know, work in a management position. And so it kind of made the decision for me to prolong moving into fitness that bit easier because I had 18 months in which to actually bite the bullet. And even then, you know, I was I had to sort of work out what was my priority. Was my priority to stay in Australia where I wanted to be? Or was my priority, do I want to work and do a job that I'm passionate about? And I was going through sponsorship at the time. So the 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 bar that I was managing tried to sponsor me and went through that process. It got rejected, which is why I'm no longer in the country. But, um, you know, I... I had the opportunity to stay and I could have pursued, I could have appealed the decision and we don't know whether or not the appeal would have been granted. And you know, there are people who were in my situation who were able to stay through appeal. Um, so, you know, if I'd have gone down that route, I would potentially have succeeded with the appeal and been able to stay and worked in that job. But yeah, that was the decision I had to make. Do I want to stay in Australia or do I want to, move home or to another country and actually pursue the job that I want and pursue my passion. And I opted for passion. Opted for passion. It's, I, I can, I think it's going to be the right choice. I think anyone that opts for passion and tries to create a lifestyle for themselves that, you know, is surrounded by something that you love and that you want to do can only be a good thing. And, and you talked about how you've, you had the passion as a, as a hobby almost to, to, get yourself in the gym, help your mates out, learn things, consume that knowledge, but then you wanted to help people. What drew you to being someone that wanted to help people? Because, you know, it's it's all well and good to assume that we all want the world to be a better place and all want to help people, but many people or most people are motivated by the watch on the on the wrist and the car and the, I guess, the status and the and the material. So what made you... Do you think it was an upbringing thing? Do you, was there an experience in your life that really made you think, no, 
helping people's where I, the road I want to go down, not just consuming for the sake of it? I think that it's only something I've realized once I took the plunge into doing it. I have never had an issue with getting up early in the morning, for example, which is something that personal trainers have to do. So, you know, alarm going off at 4am doesn't bother me and I can quite easily get up out of bed and go into work. And I found myself beginning to resent my hospitality job because I didn't get the same enjoyment of waking up and going into work. And that led me down to a point where I wasn't really enjoying my life as it was. And it didn't matter how much money was in my bank account. I wasn't happy. And since moving back to the UK and since starting my PT in, I have found that I actually enjoy getting out of bed and going in and going into work. And, you know, it was something that I had no idea how it was going to go. I hoped, obviously, that it was going to be something that I enjoyed doing, and I thought that it was, and my thought proved to be correct. But, you know, I think only since doing that have I now been able to look back on it and think this is where, you know, this is what I want to do. This This is wanting to help people is, I think, my sole sort of aim in this job. And, you know going back to what you said about was it something in my upbringing or anything like that I don't I can't honestly pinpoint anything I grew up my my dad is self-employed self-employed baker uh, my mum worked in the business with him so I watched them work all sorts of hours so for me growing up I understood the importance of work ethic and I feel um, I'm the type of person I, I throw myself into every job, whether I hate it or love it, I throw myself into it. And I was doing that in hospitality, even though I wasn't really enjoying it. Don't get me wrong. There are elements of the job that I absolutely loved. And, you know, there were, um, I'm not, I'm not for one second saying every minute of that job was, I, I hated, you know, it was, I, I loved the job for a, a long period of time, but I'd get to a point where I was just like, this isn't, this isn't my, this isn't what I want. You know, I I don't want to spend 40, 50, 60 plus hours a week doing this and it's not fulfilling me. And, you know, like I said before, only when I can look back on it now and having taken that plunge, do I realize personal training and coaching is my reason to be, if you like. Growing up, did you ever have a moment where you weren't enjoying life that you said like you were at the bar? Were you a happy kid? Did that ever enter your frame of mind, your thinking, or was it was life ever got to the point where it was serious enough to just contemplate, am I happy getting up in the morning? Or was that something that came from that moment where you just didn't feel fulfilled in your adult life? I think uh, so as a child, you know, I can't, say anything bad about my childhood very very privileged very well educated very fortunate and I 
you know, there was there is not anything in my childhood where I can be like I was neglected or anything like that. Um, so I'm very, very fortunate. I wasn't an unhappy kid, but in my teenage years, I wasn't happy. And I can, again, you know, look back at this with my experience now and, and look back on it and think, you know, fuck, this kid was not happy and I can see it. And, um, it started in teenage years and, and, you know, it stemmed from being overweight, not liking how I looked, not liking the person that I was and in an environment. So I, I went to an all boys school and it's just, you, you, you compare yourself. And I think it's a, it's a, a huge topic now. And it's something that I really touch on, you know, in when I'm trying to help people and through the content that I put out on my social media, we live in an age where we constantly compare ourselves to other people, you know, and the, the younger generation live through social media and all we see is images of good looking people, people with six packs everywhere. And you, you, you see it on TV, you see it on social media and you think that's how you're supposed to be. So me as a teenager, you know, in an environment where it's all boys and everybody is different, but I'm the fat kid and I am the kid who's, you know, I was an intelligent kid, but I was at the very bottom of each subject. So that doesn't give you a it doesn't help your confidence, you know, it doesn't help that you are constantly put under pressure. And it wasn't pressure from, from my parents. It was more pressure from the system and in the school, you know, this was a school where everybody, you know, was expected to be top level. You leave this school and, you know, one of the things that they drummed into us was, you know, you put this school on your resume and doors are open for you. And, you know, I think the telling point from, from me is actually, I rarely talk about this school. It's not on any of my resumes. I almost have a sense of embarrassment that, that I went there, which was the complete opposite of what the school would have wanted to have brought into the kids. But that's how I felt being there. And so, you know, going back to your question of being unhappy as a kid, well, especially in my teenage years, yeah, hugely, hugely unhappy with, with myself, with who I was. And that stuck with me for a very, very long time, right through up into my early twenties. And I've had, I've been quite open, you know, on social media because I feel that it's important to, that we, we do have conversations about mental health and mental health is hugely talked about these days and sort of taking the conversation away from where we were at. But I think it's, it's, it's important to, to say that mental health is hugely talked about at this point in time. And it has been for the last number of years, but we still don't quite understand it. And I still don't think we are fully getting to the issues and I'm not saying I have the answers by the way but from my own personal experience I, I know that of course talking about it helps and it really does but there's more 
needs to be done than just talking about it. And maybe if these processes had been put in place when I was younger, maybe I wouldn't have gone down the route that I did with my mental health and the struggles that I faced. You have been open with it and you weren't taking that conversation anywhere. It didn't need to go um, there at all. So I remember a couple of years ago, almost you revealed that you'd had your struggles with mental health and that came as a surprise to many people. But I think from that moment, many people not only empathised with you but were able to share their own struggles and their own journey with you as well. Did you find, was that the first time you revealed publicly that you'd had your own battles with your own mental health? And did you find from that moment that it's opened many doors for you both on a personal level but also on on a relationship level with other people and, and you've been able to be more real and more honest with people? Have you, have you found that that was, a, I guess, an unintended consequence of of coming out in a way? 100%. 100%. You know, I, I remember the, so the post that you're referring to from a few years ago, I remember there was a trend on Facebook and probably Instagram as well. And it was, you know, it was about the, it's okay to not be okay. And I remember, you know, I, I was due to go into work. I was starting work at three or four o'clock uh, in the afternoon and I'm sitting in my apartment and you know I'm I'm sat there and I'm thinking you know I've been nominated to do this by somebody who doesn't know anything about my struggles it's just one of those trends that appears on Facebook and I'm sat there and I'm thinking I don't know if I should do this I don't know if I want it to be out there that you know something that I've hid for so long and feel ashamed about I don't know if I want everybody to know and then I just I just thought you know what I'm just gonna I'm just gonna do it I think it's you know I I think it's important that people know and in a funny way it stopped me actually having the awkward conversation with people about it because you know, and I'd, I'd spoken to, you know, I've got a very good relationship with my my older sister. She's she's one of my best friends. And, you know, I, I kind of, <laughs> in a funny way, I kind of run a lot of um, these sorts of things by her. She, she's sort of been with me through the, through my, my journey, if you like, from day one. And, you know, I told her that I, I, I basically before I posted it, I screenshotted it and sent it to her. And I just said to her, I was like, I'm scared about posting this, but I kind of also want to, and I want to do it because I want other people to know that, that if they need to talk, I'll listen. I also wanted people to understand that if I, if I was a bit off in certain social situations, or if I didn't, go out or if I didn't if if you know if there was times when I was quite visibly down but didn't explain anything people could understand and be like okay it kind of makes sense and again like I said it you know putting it out on social media didn't it it meant that I didn't have to go to anybody and just be like sit them down and be like oh, do you know what you know I'm having these struggles and I'm struggling you know I'm, I'm having difficulty with this I feel about this and it's been like that for a while. And, you know, I'd seen numerous therapists, counsellors over the years. You know, I, I spent time when I was living in Manchester, I went and saw a counsellor and 
it was a private counsellor and I hid it from my parents. I didn't want anybody to know that I was seeing this lady once a week who was listening to all of my issues. So it was, yeah, it was a big thing to, to, to do that. You know, it was a big, yeah, it was a big, a big point in my time. And since then, you know, obviously the, the response to it was fantastic. And I wasn't looking for any sort of, I didn't, wasn't looking for sympathy. I just wanted um, people to understand people to know that it was a silent and quite very dangerous condition and something that needed to be talked about and you know since then people have I've been able to be more open with people people have been able to be open with me and it's um it's it's a good thing I think I look at you Matt you've got your chiseled jaw you've got your cheekbones you've got your beautiful hair here I am with no hair (laughs) you know (laughs) now you've got you know you've got all of that going for you but and and that's sort of how I met you but you mentioned that growing up, you know, overweight and, and having sort of body issues as a teenager uh, and then moving away from that and, and maybe becoming more um, interested in the gym and fitness and, and things like that. Did you continue to battle it even when you felt more confident in your body? Was it something that wasn't, what I'm trying to ask is that you had, I guess, a reason to lose confidence, a reason to feel maybe more distant or alone or maybe not as valued as some of the other kids that you're, you know, top of the mm-hmm. top of the rugby team and all of this sort of thing. So what was it that when you you became more healthy and, and better equipped and and more confident in your body and your looks and your lifestyle, what was still mm-hmm. nagging and, and lagging there that still made you feel or still lingered, what was still lingering after that transformation of body, but not of mind. Is that is that sort of a way to, to think about it? 100%, yeah. So, I mean, I, I when I was a teenager and, you know, being overweight and all that sort of stuff, I thought that the answer to all of my problems was going to be losing weight and aesthetically looking better. And I thought, as soon as that happens, this will fall into place, this will fall into place, this will fall into place. And then it didn't. And it actually didn't really change much in terms of my mental health at all. And it's only been since, I would say, the last maybe 12 to 18 months, I have actually been able to properly get a grip on my mental health and you know a big part of that was being able to start doing a career that I enjoyed doing a big part of it was I was in a relationship for quite a while and when that ended it allowed me to sort of focus on myself rather than on on my partner at the time and then I started to be able to take care of myself a little bit more in terms of my own mental health and Another big factor which, you know, is often overlooked is, you know, as someone who lives in Australia who wants to stay there in that country but always has that question mark over whether or not you can stay, um, I never had a permanent visa. You know, I came over on a working holiday visa, which is temporary, 12 months, an extra 12 months if you spend three months picking fruit on a farm, you know. And then you have, or for me, it was the option of a student visa. 
So I did, and that's where I did my personal training. So I get an extra two years. And then I went through the sponsorship visa. So everything is temporary and everything, you know, at any point you can get that call. Or nowadays it's an email coming through saying that your visa is expiring. Your visa hasn't come through. You've been rejected and you have 30 days to leave the country. And the longer that goes on, you know, it, it got to a point for me, it was, you know, it was about three and a half to nearly, probably nearly four years of just waiting, waiting for that knock on the door to be like, right, mate, off you go. You've had your time. And that, it, that instability, insecurity in terms of being in a country where you want to be, but not knowing actually if you can stay there. I think that had a massive part on, on, on my mental health too. And everything was, everything sort of came to an end and it culminated in me leaving the country and moving back here. And that's what, you know, moving back home, starting afresh back in Manchester has actually really enabled me to, to tackle my issues, to get help that is actually this time, you know, I spoke before about seeing different counsellors and stuff. And, you know, I, I tried different therapies and, you know, my last uh, visit to the GP in Melbourne, I was prescribed antidepressants and, you know, the box is still untouched in my bedroom. I haven't opened them. I've never taken the tablet. And I'm glad that I didn't in, in a lot of ways. Um, but I ended up seeing a therapist here in, in Manchester and she, it was an alternative form of therapy. Wasn't quite sure how it was going to work. Um, and it tackled, it really got to the, the, the brunt of my issues and then from there, it's just sort of gone. I, I, I've been more accepting of of myself. I've learned, and it's taken a while, but learned to appreciate myself, my qualities, accept my imperfections, and you know, <laughs> there are a few of them. But you know, accept them and embrace them because you know, that's who I am. And it took a lot of hard work, you know, um, and. I'm finally in a position where, you know, and don't get me wrong, we, I have I have good days and I have bad days, but I'm far from far from the person that I would have been, or rather far from the person that I was, you know, two, three years ago. And uh, I've done a lot, of, a lot of soul searching and a lot of self-development um, as well as the therapy. And um, it's now become, you know, I said before at the start, you know, in terms of my coaching, I, I like to bring positive habits one of my positive habits now is taking, you know, an hour or two just to go walking. I, I, I go for a walk. Some days I'll listen to a podcast, an audio book. Some days I won't listen to anything and I'm just alone. And it's where I get my, it, it's sort of where my creativity for my social media can come from at times. Um, or it's just a place and a time for me to just chill out, just relax and just appreciate everything that's, good that's going on in my life yeah beautiful walking we were talking about this just before that i've clocked up twenty six thousand steps today so i know that it's therapeutic i'm addicted at the moment i'm um clocking up the k's every day and uh it is amazing and i see that you do the same i, I often see your uh, live feeds and things like that your, your stories and and you're walking and you're one day you're sweating and then the next you've got a crunchy in your hand, <laughs> but, yeah. but you're walking, you're walking. So what, yeah, what is it about it. walking? What is it that makes that form of exercise? And you mentioned this before me, that it's the, the best form of exercise. Why is walking 
not only therapeutic but good for you? I think just, you know, it's something that's accessible to the majority of the population and it's something that we can all do. We can, we don't need a gym membership. We don't need any fancy equipment. We can just open our front door and walk. We live in a world now where we can plug ourselves into music, into podcasts, into audiobooks, and we can just be free, listen to whatever we want. And it's just easy to do. And it's often so overlooked. It's one of the most underrated forms of exercise that you can do. You know, in terms of, um, so before this conversation, um, I'll give you an example. Before this conversation, I had an induction with a member of the gym this morning at work and she wanted to lose weight. And the way I sort of put it to her is that, you know, look, the best thing for you to do to lose weight is going to be be mindful of what you're eating and be aware of what you're eating and walking and getting your steps up. Use the gym to become fitter, to become stronger, but don't use the gym to lose weight. Use your nutrition and use just going for a walk. Get those in check and you can lose weight without a gym. But even aside from, you know, the fitness aspect and weight loss aspect of walking, it's just such a a nice, enjoyable to be out in nature. And, you know, we're not blessed with great days in Manchester. You know, we, we don't have fantastic weather here in the UK, but even when it's raining, it's just nice to be outside, you know, and when you are lucky to have the sun, it's just enjoyable, peaceful. And I've, really gotten into it over lockdown because it was just really the only form of exercise you could do and it's like I said it's become a habit that is now my time I can do what I want in that two hours or whatever however long I'm out for and it's really been a game changer for me we used the word mental health but I I want to know what that I mean mental health is a range from maybe not being healthy mentally all the way through to being at, I guess, the peak mental state of contentment or enjoyment or happiness or whatever we want to call it, where we're, we're feeling grateful and fortunate every day. So there's that, that whole band that we have to discuss, but going back, what did it mean to you to have challenges that were to do with mental health? What did that actually look like? Because it looks different to everyone and a lot of people it's banded around a fair bit with people that might have had just a bad day all the way to people ignoring you know something that probably would be diagnosed as clinical depression or anxiety that's just underlying all the time and and you know completely undiagnosed so we've got these this big range of it's still being and you said we don't know enough you said it earlier what did it appear as with you when did it first appear i guess how did you realize that you may have had something that forced you to see that first therapist without telling your parents all the way through to feeling like I'm doing everything right, but I'm still just not, not feeling great. What did that present itself as both emotionally, physically, mentally, you know, psychologically, how did it present itself? I think initially it came as I was quite sort of drained in terms of just energy and just my outlook was very negative you know 
I didn't see many positives in what was happening to me. And it was, I, I remember I always, whenever something slightly bad happened, it was always, oh, that's just my luck. You know, I missed the bus by 30 seconds. Typical, always happens to me. These negative thoughts just would come over and over and over again throughout the day, throughout the week, and just build up. And I can look back on it and now and be like, okay, it was a bus. You know, there is literally going to be another bus in 10 minutes' time. Why am I stressing about this? Why am I thinking, oh, it's typical that this bad thing happens to me? And in reality, it's not even a bad thing. Do you know what I mean? But everything is just heightened. And everything was heightened at that point. So it was it was me seeing the negative more than the positive in every situation. It was being tired, being drained, not really knowing, not really being excited by much. And I think, you know, one thing that jumps out to me, this is, this is just before I came to Australia, actually. I was at the football, so I was, I was working as a freelance journalist at this point. Bearing in mind, not actually working for anybody, but, you know, I'm saying I'm a freelance journalist. So I managed to get myself into this, this event, and it's the football, the Northwest Football Writers Award. And it's a, you know, it's, it's, it's an okay ceremony, you know, it's not gonna, it's nothing to, to shout home about, but it was, for me, it was quite good. And, you know, there were, there were, it was an opportunity to, to, to network and to, to meet new people. So, you know, you're thinking this is a really positive situation to be in. And, you know, I think it's normal for most people to feel nervous about an unknown situation, but my nervousness in these situations would be quite overwhelming to the point where I almost wouldn't do anything about, you know, I I almost didn't go. And it was something that was, you know, I had to be sort of talked into going and I I was nervous and anxious about talking to other people because I was going to this event on my own. And I I, I realised that this sort of anxiety had, had, been present in my life for quite a while so anyway I'm at this event and someone actually sees me stood at the bar and came over and started talking to me which was fortunate because you know in all honesty I I would have gone the entire evening most likely having not spoken a word to anybody so someone approached me and then from that that led to another conversation someone else came over and you know by the end of it I I am presented with an opportunity of working with a a man who's on his own is a startup project it's a football website you know he can't pay me but I'm used to not being paid for journalism work especially starting out you know it's a normal thing just looking for the experience and the chance to improve and it led to conversations also then led to potential work experience at a big radio station sport radio station in in the UK talk sport so if anybody listening has has heard of that there was the potential for me to work have work experience there so all in all you're looking at it and think this is a positive night you know you you come away thinking you've done all right out of this Matt. you know like you've got potential work experience lined up there's a guy who's offering to take you out for you know to have like a business meeting with him at the pub next week you know like this is the potential here is huge i come home and I'm just emotionally drained, 
And I, rem- I remember, you know, lying in bed, struggling to sleep. And you know what? I, I went to bed and I-, and I didn't want to wake up. I didn't want to wake up the next day. And it was something that I hadn't really, I hadn't really had that overwhelming feeling before. But, and you know, I'm, I'm really cautious about when I talk about this sort of thing, because in no way am I saying I was, you know, suicidal or was I at real risk to myself. But if I hadn't have woken up the following morning, I'd have been okay with that at that point. And that just then, and I was keeping it all to myself. I wasn't telling anybody. And so I had all these overwhelming emotions just flooding through me and I just kept bottling them up. And I would tell my therapist about them, but, you know, we we ended, we never really got to the crux of the problem. You know, I ended up with all the different therapists that I'd seen over the years, you end up repeating the same stories over and over again. And you're just like, after a couple of sessions, you can sort of, you can sort of see whether or not this person is, is actually going to be able to get to the root of the root of the issue. Or if you're just going to go back into, just jump on that never ending circle. Again, nothing against any of the therapists and what works for someone doesn't, you know, it doesn't work for everybody. I was just in a, I just never found the right one for me, I guess, up until, you know, the last 12 months and was able to sort it, you know, sort my, sort my, my issues and sort of really take, take control of, of what it was and take control of my own happiness, really, you know? The idea of not being suicidal, but also not wanting to wake up is something that's, I guess, worth, worth pondering because we often think that if you're at danger, if you're, in a position where it's the extreme position where you want to take your own life, you know, be in a violent manner or in a, an overdose manner or whatever it might be that, that that's extreme. But there's also that almost, as you say, the, the drained, the just, just get me out of here. I actually can't be bothered even doing anything violent against myself that I just don't have that energy. Just Mm. wanting to be in bed all the time. And, And a lot of people do suffer from that. And that's something that Right now in the time of COVID, people maybe without having that impetus to go out and work and to see their friends and to get energy from elsewhere, a lot of people are suffering similar ideas of just not getting out of bed and finishing, clocking Netflix and having nothing else to do. And what advice would you give having been at that point and knowing that it's not just, oh, Matt's going to give me some advice and I'm going to do it now. <laughs> um, what What is it that you can almost say to people that are potentially listening to this or know someone that they can, you know, transfer some of your knowledge, what would be the the advice you'd give to someone that's stuck in a rut, doesn't see a way out during this pandemic and, and lockdown and time of uncertainty, which you said sometimes is the biggest dealer of mental health issues, that lack of permanence, the lack of, you know, certainty and, and control in a way. Yeah, I mean, the first thing, like I said before, you know, talking about things really helps. So always first point of advice would be talk to somebody about it because you will instantly feel better that you've got it off your chest. The the, the person you're talking to is, you know, 
I'll go out on a limb here. The person you're talking to is not going to have the answers, nor are they probably going to be able to give you any other advice apart from probably encouraging you to talk to more people about it and also being empathetic. I think for me, one of the one of the big changes for me was accepting and understanding that it was important for me to try and not worry about the things that I can't control. There are so many elements that I can look back on with my own struggles with mental health and I couldn't control what was happening, but what I could control was my response to it and how I saw it. You know, I used the example before of getting down and, you know, that's just my look because, I, you know, if I missed a bus and if it made me late for something, in the grand scheme of things, it, you know, I now can see that, okay, I've missed the bus. I can't control the fact that I'm not on the bus that I'm meant to be and I can't control the fact that I'm now going to be late for work or whatever it might be. What I can control is how I feel about it And if I rationalise it, and if I say, well, look, in 10 minutes' time, there's going to be another bus. And the worst case that's going to happen is that I'm going to arrive and I'm going to be 10 minutes later than what I plan to be for work. So I'm 10 minutes late. And ultimately, 10 minutes being late for work is not, you know, in most cases, it's not a life or death situation and it's not a drastic issue. So, yeah, the bigger thing for me was understanding and learning that there are things that you can control. They're the things that you should worry about. The things you can't control, don't worry about them. Because worrying about it's just unnecessary stress for yourself. It's diverting your attention to something that, like I've said, you can't control that. So there's no point putting energy into something that you can't control. Look, I know, you know, there's been plenty of times when I was in situations and people would tell me things and I'd be like, you know, it's easier said than done. It's it's all right you coming here and telling me this. And I get that, but nothing is going to change unless you want it to change. And you can see, you know, look and looking back, you know, maybe I didn't want help. Maybe in a funny way, maybe I didn't want the the previous therapists I'd seen to help me because maybe I was comfortable being the 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 guy that had depression and hid it from people and you know maybe actually addressing my problems was something that was too difficult for me to do at that time something that I wasn't ready or didn't want to do and that's why I kept pointing it off and hiding from it I've been doing a lot of uh, sort of soul searching and, and and stuff over the last few months and something that I never used to do was read and I've just really gotten into it and you know I'm I'm reading all these sort of self-help books and whatnot and they're not everybody's cup of tea and whatnot but for me it's really helped me and I've been reading a lot of stuff by Ryan Holiday Obstacle is the way, ego is the enemy currently reading a book called Stillness is the Key and you know this is all about it, it's all based on on stoicism and there's there's one thing that one thing that I've taken from it well a couple of things I've taken from it the first was about you know controlling what you can control and not worrying about what you can't control and the other thing was is it's loving and embracing everything good bad whatever it is just embrace it accept it and you know just 
be grateful for it because there, there like I said, there are things you can change, things you can't change. But if you go in with a positive, if you try and spin things into a positive light as opposed to a negative light through repetition, through time and time and just repeating this process, it will get better and it does get better. You mentioned earlier about one of your main messages in your coaching has to do with reinforcing positive habits and creating structure around those habits. Do you think that that's key to changing, that it's not going to happen overnight? It's not a flick of, you know, the switch and all of a sudden you're feeling better. It is in your life, no matter where you are on the mental health spectrum, that, you know, you're going to have days that are better and worse. But it's about those habits that you keep and about not just going for that run when you get a burst of energy, you know, on one of those mm-hmm. good days and then the next four days you eat, you know, a tub of ice cream a day or you don't get out of bed or whatever it is. It's yeah. about having those habits and making those habits manageable over time. That is key and and part of the habits that you do talk about and, and I do hear you talk about often that it's about moderation but also habits that you can keep to. But how can you elaborate further on that? So one thing I'll one thing I'll say in terms of you know one thing I say to my clients is when it comes to what I give them I don't expect them to be perfect every day because it's not possible you know you are going to have really good days and you're going to have really bad days and there's a quote that I love and I, I use it all the time now I've stolen it from um, from another personal trainer it's that one hot day does not make a summer and you know it's 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 bang on you know don't expect perfection every day because it's not attainable what i want from my clients is i want them to try their best every day now your best is going to be different to somebody else's best i don't expect you to hit the same heights as somebody else for example because everybody's different and everyone's got different goals different abilities but it's just about you know having your non-negotiables and for me a non-negotiable is i have to hit 15,000 steps a day it's a non-negotiable for me and you know if i'm if i get towards the end of the day and i've i've not got there I'm going for a walk. I, I don't care what time it is because when midnight comes, I have to have done my 15,000 steps. And if I haven't done them, I'm not letting anybody down. You know, nothing's riding on it, but my own goals and my own, I'm holding myself accountable. You know, I, I have a, and you, you, you won't be able to see it because of the situation of the room, but I've actually got, you know, the mirror in front of me is full of post-it notes. And this is, and it works for me and it's not necessarily going to work for everybody, but, you know, on, on the left, I've written all the false beliefs that I used to have about myself, or maybe not even false beliefs. Some of them are, um, some of them were how I, I would internally describe myself. So that's on the left. On the middle is what I believe about myself now. And then the third column is my goals and what I want to achieve. 
I've got my non-negotiables, as I just said. Again, one of them being, you know, 15,000 steps a day. And then other than that, it's mainly prioritising getting good sleep and trying my best with nutrition. But you get, you know, you get days when you have good and bad days. Everybody has them. And if this, if people tell you that they they don't, then they're lying. That's been a big thing for me. But again, you know, we, we're talking about habits and, you know, it's it's important to when you're trying to build a habit and to build a positive habit that you that you, you've got to make it easy you've got to make it easy and you've got to make it you've got to make it sort of satisfying for you you know you have to you have to enjoy it because if you don't you're not going to keep it up and again you know we spoke before about walking I've made that a habit because I enjoy doing it and in that time I can then dedicate I can work if I need to you know and I can listen and have downtime. I can just, you know, I can, I can learn whatever it is. It's, it's my sort of meditation time, if you want, although I'm just out walking and it's, yeah, you, you've got to make your habits, you've got to make them simple to do or easy to do. And you've got to make them, you know, attractive to you. You want to, you've got to want to be able to do them. And uh, that's where, that's the starting point for it your habit that you're trying to build isn't going rock climbing four times a week, you know, trying to find in the UK a suitable site in suitable weather to rock climb. You know, that's just giving yourself an excuse, isn't it? You know, it has to be something that not not only is it enjoyable, but it has to be something that you can not have an excuse to, to reach. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, again, um, you know, take it back to, take it back to weight loss. Again, another thing I'll do with, I'll say to clients that want to lose weight, it's if you've got 10 kilograms that you want to lose, I don't want you to think about that 10 kilograms. I want you to think about that one kilogram. Think about that one kilogram. That might take you one week to lose. It might take you two. It might take you even, it might even take you longer than that. But just think about that one. Once you've hit that one kilogram, once that's gone, you focus on the next and then you focus on the next and you go until you hit your 10, K, your 10 kilo target. There is no point diving in thinking, right, week one, I'm going to lose five kilos this week, you know, because it's just, it's not sustainable. You're setting yourself up for a fall and it's, it's stupid. It is, you know, you talked about rock climbing, for example, then, right? Well, okay, do rock climbing one day a week this week. Next week, do it two days. Week after, try three days. We're, we're obsessed with a quick fix in this world. Everything has to be done instantly. We basically want instant gratification. You know, we want that quick fix. We want instant results. And it's just, it's not realistic. And we have to, and, and something that I try and drum into my clients is that this is something that, you know, I spoke at the start, I want this to be a lifestyle for people. I don't want you to work with me for two, three months, get the results that you want, and then leave me and go back to how you were before. Don't get me wrong, you know, I don't, the way I view my business is I don't really want clients to be with me for any longer than three months because 
it, that means I'm not really doing my job properly. I want people to, I want to give it long enough that people can learn what they need to learn, whether that's the habit forming, whether it's the mindset, whether it's exercises, whether it's all three. Once they've learned that, I want them to be in a position where they can go out on their own and continue and not need me. If you were taking driving lessons and you're, you had a driving instructor for 12 months, you'd be like, hang about, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I should be able to drive on my own by now. <laughs> so that's kind of how I went into seeing my business and seeing what I do is I want to help people for that two, three, four months, however long is necessary, and give them the information that they need that's going to get them the results that they want, set them up so that it becomes their lifestyle. And one of the hardest things is to is to switch the mindset from that instant results. If you look at everything is the fastest way to lose weight, the fastest way to get abs, the quickest way to get to work do you know what I mean like I'm running out of these but everything is the fact everything has to be instant and I just don't think that it's a sensible approach and I try my best to to change people's you know especially when it comes to weight loss change people's mindset on that and change people's beliefs because in the long run sustainable healthy weight loss is and should be the goal for people wanting to lose weight and then maintaining their goal weight for the rest of their life is 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 what people want people don't want to yo-yo diet people don't want to lose 10 kilos and then six months later have put four back on and the i just feel that at this point in time with this obsession that we have for the quick fix, that's where we're at. It is a societal problem in almost every aspect that we no longer, we don't think sustainably. And uh, this is not on an environmental level, although that's an extremely important thing to me to, to think about the way that we are treating the world. But the way that we treat ourselves, the way that we treat each other, the, the way that we actually, everything's like a hack these days. It's like, oh, four quick hacks to get abs, as you said, or to, to get the job you want. But what happened to the journey being more important than the destination? What happened to the lessons that you learn? What happened to the, the process and learning from that process? And, you know, and, and you mentioned having those antidepressants on your shelf and some people definitely need prescribed drugs to some people definitely need help from the yep. chemistry behind that. But in many cases, it's just another quick fix. And, and this can be to do with ADHD, you know, a child. Some definitely need the drugs and others just need a bit of attention or a bit of love or a bit of care or, you know, let them run around the oval a couple of times a day. So we want the quick fix. We want to diagnose. We want to tell people that there's one right way. And the internet has come about where everyone gets to tell their story. And some stories are amazing and share, allow people to share their journey and people to connect and others just spout rubbish and spew just garbage that infiltrates the minds of people. And 
it is tough to to live in a life that is a rat race, that is trying to just shove everything you can into this day or this week or this month and and there is no enjoyment of this, the downtime because there is no downtime. And when there is, it's like I should be doing A, B or C. Jerry Seinfeld's new new comedy on Netflix just came to mind there where he's like, you know, my dream is to see Jerry Seinfeld live and then the next minute you're, you're in the car and, and you're stuck in traffic with your best friends that you've got the ticket to the show you want to go. You're stuck in traffic. You get up be late but you're still cracking it about the, the red light and then you get there and you're like, how long is this going to take, you know, why isn't it started, you know, the time that it said that it would and this guy next to me is laughing too loud and, and everything becomes a problem, you know, instead of just enjoying the thing that you said that was the peak of existence. So either we're building stuff up too much in terms of expectation mm-hmm. or we're, we're focusing on the negatives as, as you said that you were doing too. So that, that's just two different aspects of life that instantly just came to me when you were talking about those quick fixes. But we talked earlier in regards to misinformation that exists and, yeah. and that there are so many things that people are drawn to or think are real that are just detrimental to their own well-being and their own self-worth. So you talked a little bit about mis- misinformation prior to us recording. What is your thought about misinformation, especially in the health industry? There's a lot of it. Um, there's a hell of a lot of it. And there's all this pseudoscience and, you know, a lot of it's not helped by social media and supplement companies and there are scientists out there that are quite notorious for pushing certain diets and they can be quite convincing and especially when they've got the doctor before their name but ultimately they're they're trying to sell you something and what comes to mind is there are two quite prominent doctors especially you know they they have a lot of youtube videos and they talk about the ketogenic diet for example now i've had people friends of mine say to me <laughs> almost jokingly like they uh, they they want to hide from me that they've done the ketogenic diet or they do the ketogenic diet because they think i'm going to you know sort of rant and rave at them and stuff and you know in a joking way i have done that to them in the past but it's it's more just you know I, i'm not anti keto diet for example what i am against is the notion that anybody who pushes a particular diet i'm against the misinformation that that's the best thing because it's it's not it's subjective you know when we talk about diets you know i always say the best diet is the diet that you can stick to and you know you need to give something time for it to work you know again it runs back into what we were talking about before with time you know incidentally just something you know you were talking about the um the the jerry seinfeld comedy time is something that we we're rushing everything we always want to be first we always want to to get to places quickly and sort of speed through we're sort of like we're living on like you know times two fast forward and everything but ultimately you know when you're when you're hopefully very old 
and you're on your deathbed, the one thing that you're going to want more of that you can't have is time. And if we spend our healthy younger years fast forwarding through life, wanting to just rush through everything, we are wasting. We sort of we, we, we're sort of wishing away time, and we won't get it back. So we, we it's important that we do sort of enjoy every moment that we've got, and it's I think quite a quite a profound. <laughs> topic if you like you know it's something that i think can often get overlooked but you know we all will want our time over again you know things like you know like bucket lists or you know i wish i had the time i wish i could have gone back and done that we have that opportunity in that time right now okay you know maybe not everybody has the opportunity at this point but We've all got time right now. And one thing that I really enjoyed over lockdown was the fact that I actually had time to slow down. I didn't have to worry about, you know, I wasn't in a rush anywhere because I had nowhere to be. I wasn't going to work because I wasn't able to work. I wasn't able to meet a mate at the pub because the pubs weren't open. So I was never in a rush. And it just makes you appreciate time so much more absolutely and it is profound and i couldn't help but smile and almost got a little rush of energy when you were talking about that um you know our time is now that we will look back on life and you know that's assuming we make it to old age you know who knows what's going to happen now tomorrow the next day in your life we need to appreciate every minute and the way i see the world. I was so just frustrated at the fact that I was living for the weekend and that most people tend to live for the weekend, you know? It's like, what are you yep. doing on the weekend? And it's like Tuesday. It's like, what? I've got three full days here that I'm, I'm living prior to the weekend. If these days don't matter to me and if I'm just going through the motions until Friday night or Saturday or Sunday, you know, what am I doing? And either there's a problem with work where there's just too much work, we're not working in jobs that we are passionate about or care about, or our priorities are just off. And it is just so imperative for us to to sit back, reflect, and go, hey, every day has to matter. It doesn't mean you're solving, you know, complex problems and changing the world every day, but just you're doing something that fills your heart with joy, that fills your the people around you with joy or with learning or with suffering through something short-term for long-term gain, whatever it might be, but every day needs to matter. Every moment needs to matter. And right now, and and I don't know how much you know about what's going on right now in, in Victoria, but, you know, we've gone back into lockdown and we've gone back into probably it's our worst COVID numbers since yeah. the beginning. And you know, everyone's wearing masks, but many people are still out of work and it's it's shocking, it's horrible for so many people, their economic issues and, and mental health battles that they're going through. But for many people, we've actually just got more time and most mm-hmm. many, so many people that have wished for time for so long have it now and are wasting this moment, wishing things would go back to the way it was when they were saying, I can't wait for the weekend. Yeah. That just blows my mind. And I, I understand that it's difficult 
to to get through the times of uncertainty, but we need to enjoy things as best as we can. And right now, as you say, your holiday might have been cancelled. You might not be able to get the promotional work that you thought you were going to get this year, whatever it might be. But if you're healthy and if everyone you know is healthy and the government, which is a pretty good, you know, in our countries and especially Australia, we are supported well, use this time to connect with yourself. Use this time to connect with your loved ones. And there'll be a time where you're running on a treadmill again, wishing you had this time. So just that's all I can, I can you know, try to, to express is that I've made every day one where I'm loving. And I don't know what I'm going to do when things go back to normal, to be honest. It's, it's going to be tough for me. But, um, you know, if, if it is a struggle, find something that you can do that you, you've always wanted to do. Learn a language, an instrument. Just go for a walk. Sit down and play a video game, whatever you want to do, but just make sure you're using it wisely. Yeah, absolutely. Completely agree with you. And, you know, I, I, I've been keeping my eye on what happened, what's happening in Victoria. Obviously, still got lots of friends in Melbourne, so I know it's it's all across Facebook for me and, and whatnot. But, you know, I, I see what's happening and I, and I think, you know, in all honesty, if if the worst thing that is happening to you right now with everything that's going on, so you've got to wear a mask leaving your house to go to Coles, then you're doing all right. If that is the worst thing that you have to worry about is the fact that you're wearing a mask, you're doing okay. You know, they're not comfortable. They're not amazing, you know, but you, it's something that's got to be done. You know, at the end of the day, this is a virus that's not going anywhere until there's some form of vaccine. So we have to do the best that we can to try and limit its impact on people. Unfortunately, it's already impacted far, far too many lives all around the world. So the best thing that we can try and do now as a population all over the world, and, you know, even here in Manchester, we found out last night that we're going into a form of lockdown again, not as, you know, strict as what it has been, but there's, you know, we're not allowed to go to another household. So we've gone back to the point where I can't go and, you know, visit my grandparents or if I wasn't living at home, I wouldn't be able to go and see my parents. So, you know, we've just got to do, we've got to do our bit and we've got to do our best to try and keep this virus under control and and limit its impact. And, you know, I see a lot of conspiracy theorists out there and in all honesty, I could not, I couldn't care less if it's a conspiracy at the moment we've can visibly see that people are are people are dying from this virus so we have to try and limit the number of deaths and the number of cases from this pandemic and if that means i have to wear a mask then i'll put a mask on if it means i can't go to the pub i won't go to the pub can't go to a restaurant and you know it's difficult because there are so many people's livelihoods at risk, small businesses at risk. And I can get where the sentiment is and I can understand a lot of people's and empathise with a lot of people's pain and, 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 you know, financially what they're going through. But again, like I said earlier on, things you can't control, there's no point 
putting your attention to those things because getting angry about something isn't going to change it you know you could you can scream and shout all you want about the fact that melbourne's locked down again the fact that you've got to wear masks yeah i'm pretty sure you screaming about it on facebook isn't going to make dan andrews just go ah do you know what jason's not a big fan of masks i'm gonna you know let's get back to normal it's not going to work that way so we have to abide by the people who know or the people that are in charge of our of our state of our country you know you have to kind of trust that they know what they're doing and you know i know a lot of people don't trust them but in this situation everyone's got their bit to do and unfortunately it is how it is and you know there might be some people listening to this who are anti-mask and that and all this sort of stuff and you know they might be sitting there thinking oh it's all right for you on the other side of the world you don't have to deal with it no i know i don't i don't have to deal with exactly the lockdown that Melbourne's going through right now but have lived through it probably going to go through it again because like i said manchester is locking down again and it's not great and you know it's it's tough but let's ride it out Let's try and stay positive about things. Let's try and just enjoy, like you said, enjoy the time that we have and see where it leads us. You know, like you, there are so many different things you could do. You can learn a new language, like you said. You can read, go for a walk. Or if you want to, sit in your house and play PlayStation all day. You know, I, I don't just do something that you enjoy or find something new that you enjoy. And just utilize this time because, yeah, like you said, like we've spent, we, we've we've spoken about, you know, just before, we'll want this time over again, and we will regret if we haven't, if we overlook it, if we don't appreciate it, and that's the time I'm talking about. You know, obviously, it's it's a pandemic, it's it's not an ideal situation, but if we don't appreciate the moment and the time that we have, then it's. I think it would be something that we regret later on. You mentioned that you've now finally found peace, but you also mentioned that you've gone to an alternative counsellor to your previous experiences. And I wanted Mm -hmm. to get back to that. What is it that you are learning from this new counsellor? What is this new alternative uh, therapy, I guess? And do you think, as you said, you, you, you mentioned during our conversation that maybe you didn't want to heal and maybe you weren't listening to previous therapists. Do you think that this new person is the saviour or that you were ready to learn or a bit of both? I think it's a bit of both. I think... I was at a point where I did want to did want to feel better did want to did want to change and you know actually I'm I'm not even I'm not even seeing this therapist anymore so I've I've finished my treatment if you like and um I finished my my period of sessions and you know it, again it's it's something that I will if I feel need to I will go back to but I stopped 
seeing this therapist about six months ago and I haven't really felt the need to go back as of yet and hopefully it stays that way and I, and I, and I, I you know I, I laugh about it when I, when I talk about it but you know I, I genuinely do feel that I'm much better equipped to to deal with any issue that might arise and yeah you know I, I was ready for I, w- I was ready to not be the the person that I was the and you know I, I do environment played a big part of it you know there are all it's it's multifaceted there's a there's a lot of a lot of things that intertwined to 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 make me feel or that made me feel the way that I did and now I I, I guess I, I reached a point or rather last year I reached a point where I was just I didn't want to I was tired of being just having this constant weight on my shoulders. I, one of my, you know, I, I noticed it was something that I'd done as a teenager. And again, going back to the whole, you know, my issues with my my, my sort of body issues and body confidence and self-confidence, self-worth, all these different things. I think I used to obsess over and it, it got to a point where I, I'd do it, wouldn't even think twice about doing it. I'd walk past car windows shop windows and i'd have a little you know have a little glance look at myself look at my reflection and i'd despise it and even you know go back to (laughs) i've had a number of my weight has fluctuated quite quite a bit over the last sort of 10 years and even at a point where i'd i'd lost a certain amount of weight i'd still do it and still see myself as the person that i was at 16 and you know one of the very first sessions that I had with with my new therapist, where you know I, I said to her, I was like, "Look, I think I think having spoken about these issues with previous counsellors, I think this, this, and this is my issues. You know, one of them being some, you know, a form of a form of body dysmorphia. I'm not saying I had it, uh, but I, I, I definitely had had and was showing signs of it. And we we talked it out, and and you know the therapy. Again, I haven't really spoken much about this and um, I don't know how common it actually is, but it wasn't hypnotherapy, but it was a kind of, it was kind of like that in a way. You know, there was nothing ever dangled in front of me and it wasn't the whole, you know, lying on a couch, looking to my eyes, you know, and all this sort of stuff. But she did, you know, I, I did have to sort of, you know, sit there and, and, you know, close my eyes and she'd guide me through it was almost like guided meditation in a way. And she'd send me at different points. And, and I have to say it was very, it was a very visual thing for me. And I was, everything that she was talking to me, I was, I was, it was happening in my head. And one, I remember, I remember, you know, I told my sister about it after the first session and it was really weird. She had, told me so my therapist had told me so she put me in this sort of state whereby I was I was me but I was my dad in the sense that I was the father looking at the son and talking to the son yeah I was both people I was me sort of an older version of me now talking to me as a kid and you know trying to understand what that 16 15 year old me was going through 
as, you know, adult father me. And it was one of the most weird, bizarre things that I've ever done in a in a counselling session. But it kind of sort of did the trick for me in certain, in, 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 you know, in, in a lot of ways, really. And one thing, so where the where the therapist's office where where her room was was on a a big so one of the main streets in manchester it's called deansgate and you the the main road is just aligned with shops so i'm walking down there and i walk into the walking to to the building and what i was saying before about having that little glance in the shop windows as i'm walking past did it all the way along the all along the way and like i said everything is a shop front so you've got reflections for days and after the session we'd spoken about it and you know we'd sort of she'd made me uh, (laughs) it's going to sound really weird she made me pop this image so she talked me through and she wanted me to describe what I was going through what I was seeing and, and and whatnot and have you seen the movie Big Hero is it Big Hero 6 or something like that you know the the animated movie I haven't seen it, but I've I have seen the front cover many times. So you know the big, you know, like the 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 the, the main. I don't know. I've never yeah. seen the, but you know what I mean. The big character, like the big bubble. Is it a robot thing or something? It's like, like a yeah. It's almost. I think so. It's almost like a yeah. It's almost like a robot, but it's like a big bubble sort of man. <laughs> That's the worst description ever. But a bubble I think man. Who, oh, no, yeah. We'll go with bubble man. Um, you know. I, and people who've seen the film will know exactly. And the, and even if you haven't, you'll have seen the um, the stills for it and adverts for it and whatnot. Anyway, that that image was kind of what I had in my head that she talked me through. And that's kind of like how I, you know, it'd be too simplistic to say that's how I saw myself. But, you know, it, it, you know, breaking it down, in essence, that's what it was. She made me pop the, the, the bubble man, balloon man, right? She made me pop him. That was me. And, you know, I walked out of that session walked back to to the tram to get the tram home and I didn't for a second look in any of the shop windows but it wasn't something that I I didn't leave there thinking I'm not going to do it I wasn't you know wasn't tunnel vision I wasn't like no not going to look not going to look I just didn't do it I just felt more comfortable and I, I know because I, I sent my sister a text once I stepped on the tram and and I and I I said to her, I'm like, this is going to sound ridiculous, but this is what just happened. This is what happened in the session. I didn't look at my reflection in any of the shop windows, and I'm literally walking down the street, and the, in my head is all that's playing is um, Redbone, come and get your love, you know. And it's like in the uh, in Guardians of the Galaxy, you know, like one of the opening scenes of the movie. And, you know, he's singing along and singing along to the song. He's got his headphones in. I like, I literally felt so much freer coming out of it. And it just, every session from then on just sort of went that way for me. And again, was I ready for it? Probably, probably. And did I, I, I probably threw myself into it more than I'd ever thrown myself into any session before. But I think also the fact that, I felt almost immediately 
that this actually felt right. This, 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 I felt that the, the woman I was talking to, I felt that she understood me. And you know what's ironic? It's ironic as, as, as I talk about it now, it's almost like that instant win. It's almost like, it's almost like that quick fix, you know, but that's how instantaneous the sort of shift in mentality was for me. And don't get me wrong, it wasn't that it was instantaneous. It wasn't that, you know, click of the fingers and I'm cured. But it was like the light bulb being switched on. And it just made me in that room searching for, you know, the tools that I need to make me feel better. You know, before I'd been looking in the dark and just feeling my way around and, and, you know, half-heartedly with it, in, in, in all honesty. And after that session and, you know, the next one, it was like that light was switched on. And all I need to do now is, I mean, the room's a mess, by the way, so I'm not going to, you know, in this analogy, it's an absolute shit tip that I'm in, but I can at least now start to pick things up, move them around a little bit, say, oh, yeah, no, I need this. Yeah, yeah, no, I don't need that. I can get rid of that. And it's so much easier when there's a light on. And that's what that did for me. And yeah, you know, I'm not, like I say, I'm, I'm, I had my ups and downs over it. And it wasn't, you know, from day one, I'm fixed. There was still things I had to work on. There was things that I've never done before that I, I, I had to start doing. And one of them was was journaling and I, I had to do gratitude and, and, you know, write down three things that I was grateful for. And it's something that I've kept doing. Um, it's something, you know, I don't necessarily do it every day, um, you know, especially over lockdown because I'd find myself repeating, I find myself repeating the same three things that I was grateful for. Oh, I'm grateful for my family. I'm grateful for my friends. I'm grateful I don't have coronavirus. You know, all these sorts of things. And, and you know, you can kind of lose the, um, it can kind of lose its effect if you, if you go down that route. So I stopped and, you know, I would, day to day, whenever something happened, I would, whatever it was, I would be like, I'm grateful for that. Someone buys me a coffee or they take me to lunch or you know someone lets me cross uh, a level crossing when they could have just gone straight you know little things like that can be like right I'm grateful for and that you know again we've spoken a lot on this podcast about habits and stuff and um that became one of the habits that I had to to do was journal was to write down my thoughts uh and I did it before I went to bed and it actually helped me sleep a lot better and um, yeah, and, and things I'm grateful for, and you know, things that I've learned from these sessions, I now try and implement with clients as and when it's needed. Oh, that's great! Having gratitude is often seen as yeah, friends, family. You know, I'm not sick, whatever. But it needs to be finding those moments where, you know, oftentimes these days we're like, oh, the world's fucked, or people are different these days, or or whatever. And I think it's that sort of talk that makes us think, that makes gratitude and um, journaling so important because we do say, hang on, I've chosen to remember the bad three things that happened this week, but I've had 50 great things that have happened this week. I've had so many more smiles than I have angry looks. I've had people letting me into the lane rather than beeping me. I've had, you know, someone going out of their way to 
do whatever. And and sometimes we just forget that. And the expectation almost is goodness, which we write off. And yep. and the bad thing occurs and we say that's the way the world is when it's actually quite rare. And mm-hmm. I, I get myself stuck into those ruts. And, and you talked about control earlier and finding that control. And a lot of my guests talk about control, um, you know, finding their little circle of control. And I try to do it. And I, I go up and down, but oftentimes I'm, I'm left in my head thinking, you know, oh, I might change the political system or I'm going to change the way people think. You know, it's always external. Like, you know, when I'm going in my ruts, I find myself thinking about external things, about changing something or radically modifying things. Whereas I wrote the other day, I was in bed and all of a sudden I said, B, just be. And let me check my phone because I wrote something the other day that I've forgotten, but it just hit me that you've just got to be. And I, I, here it is. So I said, and this isn't profound by any means. This was, you know, I couldn't sleep and I was just trying to work through the, the constant chatter that was going on in my head. And yeah. it was just don't get caught up in thoughts or ideas. Be the person that lights up the room. Take people on the journey with you. Hold love and hope not fear and despair. And it was just those dot points that I thought that's how we can change things. You know, it's by being that person that comes in and everyone's drawn to that you're a leader, but you're not doing it because you're thinking I'm going to, you know, change these horrible people. It's like, what are you inspired by? What am I inspired by? We're inspired by great people that don't, that aren't narcissistic. They're trying to lift people. They're, they they recognise their faults. They recognise that they're not this perfect personal thing and that they don't know it all, but they just say, Do you know what, I'm going to be strong today and just, you know, take people with me. I'm going to just lift them up and, and bring them with me no matter what that takes. And if I have to sacrifice a little bit on the way, I'm going to do that. And I think that that's something that you do as a personal trainer, that you're confronted by that probably every day as a coach and a trainer to say, hey, you need someone just to lift you up and find who you are to be the person that you can be that lives inside of that person. What is my role today? I I love that you've chosen that pathway, but do you find yourself sometimes getting caught up in, in your, your own mind and in chatter, but then realizing that you have a part to play in, you know, bettering the lives of others? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that, this is you know in in the grand scheme of things i'm i'm a baby in this industry you know i'm i'm still i'm only early in my career and i think you know sometimes i'm i'm I, if I, I can be training someone and i can be thinking fuck they're paying me 60 70 dollars an hour for this and like I struggled for a long time to get into the mindset of I'm providing a service for people and I am helping them and, I, and I'm, I'm trying to educate them on exercise and, and healthy lifestyle and whatnot. And for me, it was, it took me and, you know, and it still happens quite often for me because, because exercise is a passion, a hobby, because it's something that I've done consistently for the last 10 years there's exercises that I know like the back of my hand and, you know, I can come up with a program 
relatively quickly for you know most populations most goals but you know something that i would do a training session for if i'm training you know if i'm just training myself 45 minutes 60 minutes however long it is in the gym when i come to train a client yeah there are these moments where i'm like where in my head i'm thinking i'm a fraud <laughs> i am an imp- I, at some point someone is going to come here and be like right Come on, my up you go. You've had you've had your time now. You've you've taken your money off people. So one thing I try and I try and be real with people. You know, I, I try and I mean I want people to to you know understand and know that you know I, I do know what I'm talking about. But too, I also want to be real. I want people to know that I've faced the struggles that people are facing. And one of the main reasons why I want to work with people who want to lose weight is because I know what it feels like I know the the struggles that they have with it and I've got a I've I've got like a a business mentor now for my online business and um one thing that he he said uh that sort of sticks out to me is like everybody's got their vulnerabilities and you know superheroes like if 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 superman didn't have his vulnerabilities you know people would think he was a dick and I don't want people to look at me as a PT and be like he's he thinks he knows everything you know he's he doesn't really understand me you, you said <laughs> earlier on we were talking about you know some of the stuff I put on social media and it's like some days I'm sweating some days I'm eating a crunchy and it's like well that's who I am do you know what you can't move for chocolate in my house, you know. <laughs> is it healthy? Well, you know, debatable, but I like it. And it goes down to we've only got one life. You may as well live it. You may as well enjoy it. Yes, I encourage you make sensible decisions. Make, you know, eat mindfully, but enjoy your food because what's the point in hating your diet or hating the food that you eat or living off chicken and broccoli for six out of seven days and then letting yourself have a burger but feeling guilty about it. It's just a shit way to live your life. And again, like I say, be mindful, make nutritious choices, but enjoy and and do eat the foods that you enjoy because you want to live a life. You, you, you don't want to be stuck in this bubble where let's say you don't like your job but you have to do it because you need an income if you come home and then you're forced to eat your personal trainer's diet god you're gonna you're gonna hate being at home as well as hate being at work so it's it, it's one of them you know i like to leave it up to people to eat what they want and never prescribe a diet plan and, or, or a meal plan because it's just not suitable for the vast majority of people i find that Often people that eat poorly don't actually savour that poor choice because it's either not different or or it is that guilt that comes straight from eating that burger or, you know, half a tub of ice cream. Whereas if you're going to do it, enjoy it and fucking oh, live yeah. off that high for a while. And And if you're going to choose that you want to lose weight, enjoy the gym, enjoy the exercise, enjoy the healthy eating because you've – you've put yourself in a position where that's, you know, you've um, struggled to to change habits to do that. So why not enjoy it? I mean, it's it's empowering. You're, you're powerful mm. all of a sudden. You're able to be in control. 
we we think as humans that we are in control. We think that that especially in modern times that we are uh, the directors of the stage play that is life. But we are simply an actor, a puppet with puppet masters manipulating our every move. And every little element of control we can take back is a success. And absolutely. And that's what we've got to think. That's it. You know, we might wake up tomorrow morning, it might be sunny, it might be raining. We can't control that. But what we can control is knowing that it's a fresh day. We can make of it what we want to make of it. And it's a lot more enjoyable if you go outside with a positive outlook on things than a negative outlook on things. And yet, you know, it's easier said than done. However, it just takes hard work and a bit of practice and time and repetition and it'll become a habit. It'll become, it'll just become part of your routine and you'll go from, from having that, that negative outlook to having that, having a positive outlook. And it's, you know, when you don't worry, from personal experience, I am so much more refreshed and energetic now I'm not constantly worrying and constantly being negative. If someone cuts in front of me in traffic, don't get me wrong, I will scream and shout in the car. But in a matter of seconds, I'll laugh it up and be like, you know what, it's actually not that big of a deal. And, you know, also, it's a red light, mate, so you haven't really got anywhere, have you? (laughs) So you've you've died in front of me, but you've not really got to your destination any quicker. Um, You know, so, yeah, look, I have these things where I'm not, I'm far from perfect. I've, you know, and I'm, I'm almost sometimes a case of do what I say, not as I do. But, uh, you know, it's, again, it's just little changes, little trying to do things bit by bit. And by doing that, you will eventually get, get where you, you want to be, you know, let's not rush it. Yeah, I'm picturing the the tortoise and the hare and, you know, the idea that the, the hare runs and runs and runs and then gets arrogant and, and loses to the, um, falls asleep and loses to the tortoise. But I was just thinking that with even the, the person speeding, weaving in and out of traffic, cutting people off, if they don't kill someone or crash or anything, really, they're only going to get one light ahead of you, if that, and they've struggled and stressed out and you know, were they listening to their favourite song on the radio? Were they singing along? Were they listening to what was the news was saying? No, they were just worried about getting to where they needed to be without really any benefit while you're sitting there and, yeah, you get cut off and you crack it, but then the next minute you're singing, um, you know, your favourite Madonna song once again. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you exactly. Know I mean. it, 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 that car example, I mean, like, what is the need? Is it are they in that desperate situation where they need to to do that you know sometimes that might be a case for a very select number of people maybe you're in a rush maybe you're maybe your partner's in the car and is in need of a hospital or in need of treatment or you know whatever whatever it might be in some cases that might be that might happen but you know for the vast majority of time it's it's most likely going to be you know form of your ego or just wanting to wanting to get there first wanting to show off wanting to be 
be acknowledged um, in a way. And if you ultimately, if you if you strip that back, it's, is it worth worrying about? Is it worth the potential risk of accident for the people just to show off? You know, in that example, I don't think it is. I've kept you for about two hours now, Matt, and I'm sure we could speak for another two hours, but I think it is time for for that question that occurs at the end of every podcast. Have you had a moment of clarity recently that you'd like to share with us today? It's a really good question. I guess I would say that we've talked about in this podcast, I've done a lot of reading and I've done a lot of soul searching over the last 12 months. One thing for me is that I, I've decided that I'm going to start saying no a lot more. Saying no is so powerful. I used to be, I used to be a bit of a yes man. I would not want to, I wouldn't want to upset anybody. I wouldn't want to disappoint anybody. I want it to be reliable. And I thought that actually, if, if I want to do those things, I have to be, I have to say yes, even if I don't want to do it. And the big thing for me is is now actually no is no is empowering no gives me control over what i want to do you know a big theme of what we talked about in this whole podcast has been control and and that that's my sort of i've had uh, it, it's been something that i've struggled with for a while a long time and you know I, I said no looking at it from a business point of view i'll i've said no to clients you know i've said i don't there's certain people that I don't want to work with. Now, whether that's because I don't see us, you know, we're not really compatible match or I think there's someone who could help them in a way that I can't. But yeah, saying no for me has been a big, big turning point and a, and a big eye opener. And finally, where can people find you if they want to follow you on Instagram? I know you're quite active on social media. And if they are in Manchester, where, where can they hunt you down to um, have the number one service in, in all of the UK? Yeah, the, the best place for people to find me would be on Instagram. So you can go to my Instagram page. That's at Matty A. Hill. You can also head to my website. That's www.mattyahillfitness.com. And I'm there. And there are links on my website. There's a load of cool free stuff on there. I do a bit of writing every now and then. So if you've if you heard this podcast and think he knows his stuff, let's have a look at some of the stuff he writes, then you'll be able to find it there. Uh, but that's me. Oh, brilliant. It's been an absolute pleasure, Maddie. I- I've loved it. So thanks so much for coming on. Me too. Thank you for having me, Barnes. It's been, been great to get on here. Great to talk to you again. If you enjoyed the conversation today, please subscribe, share with your friends and family, and leave a review. If you would like to contact me, provide feedback, or have access to someone you believe could be a great guest on the podcast, you can contact me on Instagram or Facebook at Moments of Clarity Podcast, or on Twitter at BarneyMOC. You can also email me on Moments of Clarity Podcast at gmail.com. My name is Barney, and thank you for joining me on Moments of Clarity.